Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. This is episode number 19. One thing that's been awesome about this podcast has been interviewing people from all walks of life who are doing this RV entrepreneur thing. Because I've had so many people who are tech-centric on the show, I decided to diverge from those folks a little bit and interview a couple of people who are making their incomes doing different things, i.e. musicians. The last podcast was with Eric and Kim, who are musicians that have been living full-time in a boat and transitioning to an RV. And today's episode is with a Canadian couple who go by the name Winnie Brave. Yes, just like the RV Winnebago Brave. (laughs) They recently got off a four-month cross-country tour in their 1976 Winnie Brave that they restored where they played around 50 different shows across the country. In this episode, we talk about how they were able to book enough shows across the country to actually make money while they toured America. This is something I've seen as an ongoing trend, a lot more musicians going around playing house shows and things across the country. And so I was super excited to be able to dig in and actually learn more about this. Can you actually make enough money booking shows across the country and bars and at vineyards and wineries and things like that to actually make an income? As it turns out, you can. And today, Winnie Brave is going to show us how they were actually able able to do that. And before we get into the show, I want to thank today's sponsor, WinnebagoLife.com. I'm interviewing a couple named Winnie Brave. I have to give a shout out to Winnebago Life. Every month, a team of RV bloggers, including Alyssa and myself, publish content on WinnebagoLife.com that features articles on travel gear, inspiration, and tips from people who have traveled all over the country in an RV. Winnebago Life is working to become the number one RV lifestyle blog on the internet and a resource you must check out if you're already living in an RV and considering it. This is the only place other than Alyssa's and my blog where I actually submit content on a monthly basis. It's because we love working with Winnebago. They're one of the more innovative RV companies out there and they're doing really cool things. You definitely should check out winnebagolife.com. All right, let's get into today's show with Winnie Brave. All right. So today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Winnie Brave, a.k.a. Amy and Brad, who describe themselves as a soulful composite of roots and folk. They are a husband-wife band that just recently got off a four-month tour around the U.S. in their, wait for it, 76 Winnebago Brave. This is the Winnebago Brave classic that Alyssa's and mine retro version is modeled after. So theirs definitely gets more cool points. Amy and Brad, thank you guys for being on the show with me. Thanks for having us. So I, by the way, I feel like we just have to, you just have to describe what just happened. <laughs> like we were just having a conversation before I press record. What, what scenario just went down where you guys are right now? So we are, uh, for the next two months, we're holed up at a, at a farm on Vancouver Island and we're providing live entertainment for some of the events that happen here on the farm. Our six-year-old boxer named Winnie just spotted uh, a fairly significant sized otter that must have been out in one of the hayfields gathering some sun and uh, and the chase was on so we had to uh, take a second to uh, corral the dog and make sure that the otter got back to his or her domain safely so uh, that's incident number one that's the funniest thing I think I've ever seen so far yeah otters aren't <laughs> very quick <laughs> did what d- is that thing did Winnie catch him did he catch the otter uh, probably there was some physical contact. Yeah, Winnie's not much of a biter. She's more like a good Canadian. She's more of a body checker than a, than a biter. So uh, she probably just nudged him, uh, got him on the go. She doesn't typically go mouth first. She usually puts her head down and just 
smashes into things. She was likely a little confused. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> I love y'all's story, uh, hitting the road in 2012, and you guys used to own a guitar shop up in Canada, is that right? We did. We, uh, as musicians, obviously, you, you explore opportunities to make money down you know any avenue you can get down, and uh, the guitar shop was something that we uh, cooked up and, and got involved in um, actually, while we were living in a trailer park in South Texas a few years ago, uh, we had left Ontario and, and we left our nine to five jobs behind and our mortgage and our two cars and all of the, the things that legitimize lifestyle. And, uh, we had a truck and a travel trailer that we bought from the proceeds of the sale of the house. So we went to the place where, of course, everybody goes into the deep south of Texas to, <laughs> to find a, a new direction in life. And while we were down there, we decided that that was something we wanted to do was return to Ontario to step up our music effort in terms of where we're playing and how often we're playing and then to subsidize that income with the, with the, hopefully a, a successful guitar shop, you know, that offered not only retail sales, but service repair lessons. We did live shows in the shop. So it was all encompassing music community promotional type of business and uh that was quite experience we, we were we were not small business owners before that we just decided to do it and uh it worked it worked yeah what were you what was y'all's nine to fives before quitting and and buying an rv and traveling to texas so i i'm a graphic designer so that's i mean i still i still do that from time to time but i was working uh a job in, in toronto so that was my nine to five my commute and my desk job and all that stuff I was a casino surveillance operator. I was uh, one of the guys that sat in the room and watched the cameras looking for cheaters and vagrants and general criminal activity. Casino cop. Nice. Casino cop, exactly. Not a security <laughs> guard, though. Have to differentiate. We're uh, pro professional surveillance technicians, not security guards. So what was so what was the conversation that you guys had one day? Was this kind of an ongoing conversation around what would it look like for us to leave our jobs, or did something happen where you thought we don't like this anymore and we want to go sell our house and travel? What what happened leading up to that decision to leave those jobs behind and pursuit of something different? I think the first time we did it, um, I mean, nobody in, in our families owned travel trailers or did anything like that. So, I mean, we didn't have any experience at all. But the first time we, when we had our house and we, we knew we didn't like the situation we were doing, we were, you know, working 12 plus hours, you know, long commutes, Brad and I rarely saw each other. And we didn't play music a lot at that time. We would play the odd weekend, but it was kind of a, a very part-time thing. And when, I don't even remember having a conversation. I just remember us both being at a point where we weren't happy and we wanted a change. So we decided to put the house up for sale and we signed the papers on a Thursday night. And by Saturday afternoon, a day and a half later, we were sold and done. And we didn't really, we didn't have a plan at all. So we thought, well, let's, let's, let's go on the road for a bit. Let's let's sell the house. Let's quit the jobs. Well, the house was sold. We'll quit the jobs. We'll let's go buy a trailer and a truck and, and just go to Texas. And so we told our parents about what we were going to do. And I think they were confused and a little surprised. And then we just did it without much thought. And then we, uh, we spent a couple months down there 
And like Brad said, you know, we had the, the idea for the guitar shop, so we came home and did that. And uh, Brad worked the guitar shop, and I went back to work full time. And I remember we went over to a little pub that was across the street from the guitar shop um, that we used to go to from time to time. And this was probably um, a couple months into our new adult life of working our jobs and having our own business. And we were both sitting there, and it was like, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to do this either. You know, I thought this is what we would want and this would be a lifelong thing, but it doesn't feel right. So that's when the idea of let's, let's get the cool old Winnebago. Let's see if we can find one. And then we did and we bought it. And then it was about two and a half years of putting the plan into motion with a little more thought and preparation of how we were going to do it. And away we went. I love that. So basically you guys just had a chance to get away and to think about what you wanted to do. And the idea of a guitar shop sounded awesome. But once you guys got back up there, you realized this wasn't what you wanted to do. So what did you do during that period of time from uh, during the two, last two years? You guys just got off the four-month tour and you wanted to have more intentionality in going on kind of a longer tour where you guys could go and play music around the country and it looked awesome. And what what kind of stuff did you guys do in that process to prepare for that trip? So uh, the, the first most important detail is that we are the proud owner of two identical 1976 Winnebago's. We actually own uh, the Chieftain model, which is uh, obviously extremely similar in appearance to the Brave, but it's... Uh, it's a Cadillac version. It's a Cadillac. It has, it has uh, some more appointments, or it would have in, in 1976, and it's... Uh, 23 feet long, so you get an extra couple feet of uh, of usable space. So, is it kind of uh, like the the, first... uh, the tribute is to the the new Winnebago Brave, the Itasca tribute? Have you seen those? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Okay. Got, sorry. So keep going. As we were as we were looking around for RVs, we that was the one sort of the only reference we had was that we were living comfortably in a 24 foot travel trailer. So, let's find the Winnebago, the vintage Winnebago that most closely resembles the layout of that trailer. And that's how we, we sort of happened on to the Chieftain. We went and bought the first one, uh, and it had the original 440, the three-speed transmission, um, the original roof and things like that. And it had significant issues, although we, we were naive and so uninformed that we just put our money down and, and bought it based on the fact that it was just extremely cool looking to us. It was, it was very much an emotional purchase. <laughs> yeah, very little, lo- very little logic. So we took it back to uh, to our, our family farm where my sister and brother-in-law live, and we started basically taking it totally apart in an attempt to identify all of the issues and to repair what we needed to repair. And we actually re-roofed the entire RV uh, that process of sort of weeding through all the issues and the demolition and the roof repair took more than a year because we were about a three-hour drive from where we were storing the RV, and we were both working full-time jobs. So if either of us got a day off, we would go to the RV and do whatever we could, and you know, we was just picking at it piece by piece. But the whole time that we were doing the restoration, we were learning more about what would make a far more appropriate long traveling vehicle. And of course, you start to talk about drivetrain and fuel mileage and these types of things. So, all the sexy things about owning RVs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, with my brother-in-law's uh, input and 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 with our own sort of 
growing education, we started just looking around to see if there were other options out there. Maybe we could buy an old RV that was not in good shape but had a great smaller motor, something with perhaps a more appropriate transmission, four speeds and overdrive or something like that. And we happened upon a fella in Sudbury, Ontario, about three hours north of where we live, who was selling the exact same RV. The only difference was he was a drag racer in his free time and had recovered a small block Dodge 360 from a vehicle and uh, done some motor modifications to a camshaft and a few other things and then sourced out a modern Dodge pickup truck transmission, four speeds and overdrive and put it all together with a custom drive line. And he was using this RV to tow his drag car to the races and he would just sleep in the RV at the races. So when we saw it, we thought, perfect, this is exactly what we would do uh, if we had the unlimited financing, so which we of course did not have. But we drove up to Sudbury anyway with a couple thousand dollars in our pocket and we bought another one. We, so the exact same, the, the same exact year, same. like everything was identical. It was so strange. So we brought that one home in the <laughs> summer, midsummer last year, and we decided to abandon the first RV that was purchased, and we'd focus all of our effort on this RV. We did borrow a significant number of parts from the first RV, including a, a more modern fridge that the previous owner had owned, uh, purchased and installed. So we coupled together two essentially 1976 chieftains to make what we now proudly travel and, and live in. Super so that took that entire process took about two and a half years of, of finding the RVs and, and making sure they were in acceptable mechanical condition for the long drive. And then we started working on the interior and, and of course that's only sort of the A side of the record. The B side of the record is that we were looking for gigs, all over the continent during this, this this time as well, trying to find opportunities to play anywhere we could. Putting the tour together and, and figuring out the logical route and then applying for our visas and all, all the background stuff that that we have to do to cross the borders and play play for play for money really to get paid and all that stuff. So it was a, it was a big process. Yeah. Was there anything logistically other than just the renovation part that you guys that was difficult to figure out? Yeah, so obviously those who restore RVs with the idea of just simply living comfortably in them would typically take into account, you know, well, we've got this amount of clothing and this amount of footwear and maybe these types of uh, personal entertainment devices, you know, whether it be your computers or the things that everybody typically wants with them when they travel. But uh, the difference between them, uh, the, the normal people and us, is that we have a significant amount of sound gear. So... Our cars and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So our interior design was based around storing and facilitating these instruments, which um, was a, a bit of a challenge. A lot of measuring and, and deciding on cubbetry. And you know, I'll give you a, a good example. The the old Winnebago's feature is sort of this over the driver's bunk, if you will. It uh, sits up on a spring assembly, and it when you're parked, you can pull this bed down, and it's basically a double wide bed right above the cockpit. Well, we don't sleep up there. We store our guitars up there. They fit perfectly up there, and we sort of strap them up there so that they're safe and sound, and, and then they're totally out of the way in a very convenient location. So 
you know, those are the types of logistical things that we had to consider when designing the interior was where are we going to fit all of our gear so that we don't have to be sitting on amplifiers and, and constantly moving guitars and things like that. So, um, we've been, we've been pretty good at that, but you know, if you were to walk into our RV at any given time, you would have no idea that we're musicians because you can't see anything. Yes. And the other, other than the, you know, the logistics of, of where to put all your stuff, getting, getting the work is, is half the battle as well. I mean, we don't have uh, booking agents. We don't have managers or anything like that. We, we do everything ourselves. So a lot of time goes into, you know, every town that we wanted to go to along the map, we had to try and find a place to play. And I'm not even kidding. We would send out, oh gosh, I don't even know, like thousands of emails just to get maybe like 20 to 40 back. It's ridiculous how much time goes into that, like just finding, finding the work. And so we, every time we could find some Wi-Fi at a public library or good old McDonald's, you know, we'd pull out the laptops and the phones and start Googling any places we could find that would have live music and then sending emails and just hoping that one or two would get back. But for the most part, they don't. And so that's, uh, that's another big struggle is to find, to find the work while we're on the road. So how many shows did y'all end up booking on your four month tour? I believe while we were in the States, we played, I think it was almost 50 shows and at least like 15 of them were just in the first month alone. Um, we hit a lot of places hard um, in the first month and then it kind of, you know, evened out a little bit more as we started to make our way around into the West. But uh, I think it was, it was close to 50. How much do shows typically, on average, bring in for you guys? Um, well, when we're when we're in the states, it seemed uh, seemed you you Americans uh, value it a little bit more than what we found <laughs> when we were in Canada. So it was it was great uh, traveling to be in the states. I mean, all of our stuff was uh, like it, it financed our our trip completely, and and the trip wasn't just about going out to see things. It was like how can we play music for a living and see as much as we can see. So that's kind of how that all started. But um, on average, you know, we, we would try to get two to two fifty a night, and uh, that's not unreasonable. But sometimes, and quite a lot of times, bars or venues don't pay that. So then, you know, we had some nights that were based purely on um, on tips. And so, I mean, you kind of cross your fingers and hope that you know people throw some money in the tip jar or they buy a CD. And I remember one time we were we were playing a spot uh, in Silicon Valley, just outside of. San Francisco, and it was a coffee shop, which, as musicians might know, if you're playing a, a coffee-only venue, and there's not a lot of money in in those places because people aren't buying beer or, you know what I mean, maybe getting into that happy mood and, and tipping coffee. <laughs> yeah. Coffee places are sometimes a little less, but we walked out there making the killing for having no pay, like the venue didn't pay us at all, but just in the people enjoying the show and, and everything, that was one of our one of our best nights. Um, we sold a ton of merch, and, and people tipped, and people really enjoyed it. So, I mean, it's always one of those two sides of the coin. I mean, we play, we've gone and played places that offer no guarantee, and, and you're playing for tips, and you walk out of there maybe with 20 bucks. But then on the flip side, you can have a really great night and come out with a couple hundred dollars. So, I guess, for every, it, it adds and flows, right? Like, there are going to be some nights where we're not making much, but then hopefully, you know, a couple days down the road, it makes up for it. Yeah. That's awesome. And reading reading some of your posts, and you guys are really good writers, by the way. I'm not sure if it's all Amy or it's Brad or if you guys both write on there. But uh, reading <clears throat> just parts of the story from you guys, I feel like I can 
uh, relate because during Hourly America, I mean, we're trying to find we were trying to find jobs in each new city and we're having to reach out to people and send X number of emails and hopefully somebody gets back and you just don't know what's going to happen. But it's also really exciting because there's a strong sense of mission. You know, most of our lives are kind of, I don't want to say speak generically, but a lot of times people can, you get in this, you know, flow where everyone's just kind of drifting. You don't have this strong sense of, man, I'm working to go book 50 shows across the country for four months. And it's exciting and exhilarating and exhausting all at the same time. Do you guys feel like if you were just traveling, uh, you would have that same sense of purpose and mission? No, I don't think so. I think that uh, we likely would have would have gone home long ago. I don't. I don't know that either of us are by nature terribly interested in traveling or you know camping and and, and sort of being out of doors to some extent so we're not we're not outdoors we like to travel but not like let's get our tent and go to the woods <laughs> yeah we're not outdoors either <laughs> but that, i would i would suggest that all of our effort is to facilitate uh success in music and and uh, there was a time i think in 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 this country and in your country where if you wanted to be a successful musician you would you know put out a record and then you would go and play that record for people in every town and city that you could you could get to and uh, although the music business has changed and and television programs and youtube sort of allows certain types of musicians to skip the years on the road building up the fan base uh we chose the opposite we actually you know wanted to dig our heels in and uh and and go after that to be on the road and to build a fan base you know one audience at a time and um that was the, the the number one motivator. Uh, obviously, exploring new places and meeting new people is is extremely fulfilling, but it's all secondary to uh, trying to find success in our chosen career path. I love that. So you, I mean, the RV and everything else to travel. That this was just the strategy to carry out. How do you guys uh, continue to make it, earn a living, and do what you love as musicians? Exactly. And, and I think similar to the motivations that people have who are interested in the tiny house living and, and downsizing and, and being more economic and efficient in the way that you live, we embrace that as well. And, and it's it's not embracing it because it's the trendy thing to do like yoga pants. It's more we embrace it because that's the only really financially viable option we have. Our life has to be extremely affordable so that um, the income is relative to the expense. Do you know what I mean? So, um, that's, it's, it's not by choice. It's somewhat by necessity to, to be living in an RV and to be, to be living sort of an extremely environmentally friendly life to some extent, save for the exhaust that we emit out of our machine. But we use very little water. We create very little waste. And, uh, you know, to some people that would be a huge priority, but to us, it's, it's just, again, another necessity to facilitate the plan. And I think for us, um, you know, we, we lived in one spot and drove to gigs every weekend and a couple times during the week. And I think for us to know that we can have our home with us and all the comfort of home, yet go out and play shows anywhere in North America, that was also the thing, like having, having our own home with us at all times meant we could go wherever we wanted and to play shows in any city that we ever really thought about, you know, oh, it'd be really cool to go play in New Orleans. Well, 
all we got to do is find a gig and drive there and we're there. We can stay as long as we want. If it's not cool, we can move on to a different city. And I think having an RV and living in an RV makes all that possible for us. So that that was also the, the most perfect situation to do what we wanted to do and to explore. You know, by living in the RV, you can cut a ton of costs out. And so you have more opportunities to fail. You have more opportunities to not have, like if, if you guys aren't making as much money one month, it, it's okay because your bottom line is not super high. And to me, that's one of the best benefits because, I mean, if you're living in a city like Austin, for example, where we're at right now, and you're having to pay 1400 bucks for an apartment, plus utilities, and all the other expenses that can kind of come along and be accrued with that, you have to make a certain amount of money. And you almost, I think it almost limits you and inhibits you on trying to succeed in a certain craft because it takes a certain amount of momentum and time before you can build up the revenue to get where you want to be, if that makes sense. No, you're, you're just working to live, essentially. Just you're, you know, you're spending all that time just to sustain where you're at, not necessarily saving or going over and doing things that you want to do because I don't have time for that now. Did you, did you guys always think this way? D- did you feel like when you were in... No, when, when we were the very stereotypical uh, newly married, you know, middle-class whitey. We were, we wanted a home and we wanted to fill it with things and we wanted cars in the driveway and, and, you know, that was our goal in life. And then that changed, um, that changed when, when we started to prioritize our music over other things. We got, we have company. Is it an otter? No, this is actually the, uh, the gentleman who owns the farm has come to see us. Oh, so we okay. got human interaction this time. So Amy's gone out to uh, to speak to him. We're parked in the hay field here, so he may have uh, a need to work this field today. We'll see what he says. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I can say that one of the coolest spots that we stayed in was in a Vermont apple orchard, just in the middle of the apple orchard. And I don't know. I love staying in those kind of spots. We were in big. I was in Big Bend this weekend, and we were in one of the primitive campsites. I saw that you guys went down to Marfa, and it was just gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it is. There's something to be said about being. Um, remote to some extent, you know what I mean, and I guess that's the that's the apex of the uh, the the RVing lifestyle is to be able to go somewhere where perhaps nobody else has really spent any time, or where maybe the infrastructure isn't in existence to live comfortably, and you just move in, settle in, and and make something of it. And uh, this is going to be interesting here over the next two months to to sort of pursue that side of things as opposed to the what I would describe as the typical RV lifestyle of, you know, rolling into a park and hooking up your services and then turning on your television and and returning to the normal lifestyle within your own RV, whereas, you know, we don't have a television. We, we don't have these types of things that um, you often see occupying people's times, even at RV parks, which sometimes baffles us. But, I mean, you know, people choose to live the way they live, but from our perspective, uh, if you're going to travel these distances and you're going to put yourself in new places, then uh, you'd be doing yourself an injustice by not seeing them and experiencing them. Yeah, I agree. You guys have done that. You did a couple, a few months in Texas uh, a few years ago, and then you just did this this other music tour. Uh, so you're kind of traveling in spurts and then going and, and going back up to Canada where your home base and kind of gearing up, maybe recording another album. Does it just make more sense uh, as a musician to just go play on a tour, go recover, make do more albums and then hit the road again? Or, or do you think you guys would end up actually being on the road full time at, at any given point? 
I think the 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 strategy over the next three years and and you know that strategy started in January when we left home for the first time. Uh, the strategy is to to tour ten months of the year and be back home in Ontario for November and December. Uh, obviously, to spend time with family and to and to do just as you said to uh, perhaps record new material, but uh, more importantly to reorganize and regroup and and then uh, set out again in January to do probably the same route. We'll do the same route over the three-year span, but we'll obviously be hopefully adding new venues, bigger venues, uh, you know, uh, finding success and, and growing our business as we travel. But we are sort of committed to and and, uh, and willing to look at a three-year plan and, and, and the economics and the, and the travel involved in that uh, is working to, to this point. So, no reason to believe that'll change. One of the biggest things for us, and, and uh, you know, in Austin, Texas, you don't necessarily have this concern. Uh, traveling in a seasonal part of the country, like in Ontario or in parts of Canada, can be difficult. There's three or four months where you really shouldn't even leave the house, let alone drive around in a big RV. So um, we use that opportunity to to travel south and and to enjoy good weather and to travel safely. So. You know, that's that's a, a significant part of the plan is where do we go and when do we go so that we can travel safely and comfortably. I mean, it's, we had a terribly cold night in the mountains of Tennessee when we first left home. Uh, you know, we woke up with every window of the RV completely frosted over just because we didn't know when we went to bed that night that, you know, we were on top of a mountain and it was going to get well below zero. But we certainly figured that out when we woke up in the middle of the night. Wow. So, you know, our, our travel plans have to be based on on the conditions and the climate. So uh, we're learning as we go. But uh, again, as Amy said, there's there's something about uh, America and Americans and music that is extremely attractive to us. And, and uh, we had a fantastic time. So we benefited twofold. Not only easy travel and good weather, but met tons and tons of really good people. If somebody is listening to this and they're a musician or they love the idea of being able to travel around and book shows, what kind of advice would you give them on how to make it happen? Um, I think if you want to look at it in terms of a long-term model, then you know you have to focus on your transportation, the quality and the condition of your transportation so that you can rely on that piece of equipment to get you to the places you need to be and that you're comfortable in that piece of equipment. Um, you know, We often hear musicians back home say, you know, we'll get in the van and we'll go two weeks on the road and that's about all we can handle because you just don't want to be in a van with that many people for that long. And that's a very reasonable argument to make. So to offset that potential, you pick a more appropriate vehicle, you make sure it's in uh, excellent running condition, and then you start to build customers, clientele, just like any other small business. You try to find opportunities to make money. Uh, so... Like, like we said earlier, we divided our time equally between preparing our vehicle and then trying to find opportunities to play. And um, Amy has just returned. Hello, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, breweries and wineries, which are two, you know, really bustling businesses these days, they'll often feature live music. Coffee shops have always are traditionally a place where live music happens. So, you know, we identify where our best potential customers are. And then we, we start pursuing them and, and, uh, it, it took a lot of time and effort, but you know, that really is, 
if there was a, a, a suggestion I would make, it's that you have to make the time to make the effort. Uh, you can't just decide this is what you're going to do and then go and do it. There is significant preparation that's required to be successful and to be happy um, and to fulfill your goals. So, you know, that's my, that would be my only recommendation is spend more time than you ever thought necessary in preparing. When I found you guys looking at your website and listening to your music and even the graphics that now I know uh, Amy did, uh, which are mm-hmm. awesome, everything looks really, really good. You know, everything's super simple. You guys are really professional. You have a blog that you that you wrote, you know, all the social media is your music is really, really well recorded and everything just fits together and flows and you guys just seem like genuine, cool people. And so I would say that all of that factored in as well because whenever you're reaching out to all these places across the country, you know, you need this. If somebody is trying to find and go book gigs, they need to have, I guess, that total package like you guys have because they may have to reach out to four or five times as many people as you guys did if they don't have some of those essentials, you know, that album, decent website and things like that. Those are kind of, I think, essentials mm-hmm. that I noticed you guys do really well. Yeah, the, that logic prevails in any in any small business that you're attempting to grow. Uh, I would suggest, though, one effort that we've, that we've both identified and that we pursue is that in music, you can only reach a certain number of people, uh, whether you're playing shows or whether they find you online, uh, to expand your relatability, meaning that you know, because we live in this RV and and we're talking to you about an RV lifestyle, and it's it's something that a that a whole different culture of people who aren't necessarily interested in music are extremely interested in in living untraditional lifestyles. So we have very intentionally branded ourselves as not just musicians or not just people who live in an RV, but people who have uh, successfully combined the two so that. You know, through our social media reaches and things like that, you know, maybe we reach a musician who likes bands or we, 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 you know, we come across the, the Instagram account of a guy who's restoring his RV. He likes ours and then he checks out our music. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like selling hot dogs at a barbershop. Chances are when someone comes in for a haircut, they're going to be hungry. So you may as well sell them some food too. And uh, that's the way we look at it. It's not reasonable to think that you'll be successful in only one tiny corner of a market. You've got to kind of put your feet in a couple different markets and hope you can float on that. I mean, it's also, it's also about just what you can offer. You know, I think a lot of people, and as corny as it sounds, just being true to yourself, the fact, that, the fact is you guys did restore a really badass Winnebago Brave that looks awesome and you live and travel in it and plus you're really great musicians and some people might even you know I doubt that a lot of people would just bypass the fact that they live in RV but you guys have literally combined those two things um, and there's a lot of people that can relate to that just like this podcast there's probably only a small segment of people that are interested in running their own kind of business and also living and traveling in an RV but you know what this podcast serves them and that's who I am those are two things that I love more than anything and so I can say that even though you know we both have the common ground of RVs and y'all's is music and mine is business but I love that I think that's awesome and it's, uh, I think it's healthy too for the for the mind to not just focus on one thing. You become obsessed if you're focused on one thing. And if you know, if all I was concerned about was the mechanical condition of our RV, you know, that could become quite stressful. So uh, life on the road sometimes can be pretty quiet. You know what I mean? That where 
uh, you're left to your own thoughts while driving or when you're parked and you have some peace and quiet, you're really assessing where you've been and where you're going. And it's nice to have a broad base of considers, you know what I mean? We've got to consider where our next gig is and, and where we're going to get water and where we're going to dump and where we're going to park. And, you know, it's, uh, it, while it does perhaps add to the weight, it, uh, it also, I think, makes things a little more comfortable because, uh, you know, idle hands do the devil's work and uh, we, we try to stay busy. And if you're constantly traveling and, and, or your goal is to constantly travel, then you need to also consider things that you're going to do in your downtime, uh, so that you can really enjoy and fulfill. Uh, if you're, if you're bored half the time, then, then you're, you're not really meeting the expectation. Absolutely. When you guys are on the road, do you all typically stay in boondocking sites or campgrounds or RV parks are kind of a mix of, of all? Um, it depends. Uh, if there's a, like for Port- Portland, for example, we, we knew we really wanted to see the city and driving an RV around in downtown cities is not necessarily the most fun experience. So if we're in a place that we know we want to check out, we'll, uh, we'll usually get an RV spot, uh, you know, somewhere outside and we have a motorcycle on the back. So we use that to, as our sightseeing vehicle tooting around and, and that's, that's our other, our love is to get out on the road and, and see things from the motorcycle seat. Um, so it depends, uh, if we're in places and we're just playing a gig and we're in and out, we'll usually, if it's a brewery, for example, and they have a very large appealing parking lot, we will ask to, you know, if it's okay, if we camp out there for the night and then we're gone in the morning. And so it's, it's really a bit of both. We do Walmart stays the odd time and, you know, sometimes we'll find some really nice, uh, pull-offs on the side of the road, like uh, the Highway 1 there on the coast of California. There's some great little pull-offs that, for whatever reason, didn't have the no-parking signs, so we took advantage of those. And, yeah, it's a real mix-up. We like to we like to keep things fresh, I guess, and, and stay in, in different places. Well, I only have one more question for you guys, and I you typically ask this in every episode, but what does success look like for you guys in this lifestyle, traveling around, playing music, uh, if you can look back in this time and just say that was worth it and I feel successful, what would that look like for you? In, in the most simplest of terms, uh, our success would mean that somebody else is driving us around. Hopefully in like a nice pro's coach. Absolutely. Like some chrome <laughs> and some really nice speckles on the side. That's my idea of success. Yeah. You know, when we talk about having success in music and enjoying travel and, and really loving life on the road, uh, a musician's ultimate goal is to just have somebody else drive you around. You know what I mean? Where you're sitting on your couch, drinking your drinks and watching the world go by, and they just pull you into the parking lot and they they wheel your drunk ass into the venue and you play the show and then get back on the bus and somebody drives you around again. And I mean, that's in terms of a musician's lifestyle. That's that's is the ultimate goal. But uh, we are very firmly planted in the ground of reality. So for us, the the idea of success is to create a plan and then to execute that plan and to uh, enjoy it as we go. And, and we're, you know, five or six months into the plan we have created and the execution has gone to plan to this point. So that is success. Uh, it, it was an undertaking just to leave home. So the fact that we can successfully stay away from home without the need to go back uh, is success in our mind. Yeah, I think the biggest step 
the biggest step I think was, was the leaving. Once we're on the road, you know, all the work that we put into the plan is now being executed, but I mean, so it's, it's a, it's continuing. It's ever, it's ever, you know, revolving. We have to just keep working so we can stay out here and, and hopefully, you know, the things we're doing now will just lead to maybe, I don't want to say easier time, but an easier time finding work as we keep going. The more we do it, hopefully the things get a little bit easier. And we have a favor to ask of you, Heath, uh, since you're a guy who reaches out to uh, the listening ear of many RV people. We are interested in a third 1976 Winnebago chieftain, uh, particularly one that perhaps has lived in the South all its life and is not subject to rust and rot and all the issues that both of our Canadian living RVs suffer from. So if any of your listeners have a very mint, minty 1976 Winnebago Chieftain, we would be very interested in uh, perhaps acquiring a third and, uh, and, and having a really long-standing relationship with the vehicle, whereas the one we're driving now is, uh, you know, with each passing mile, uh, new things are loosening and falling off and, and, and deteriorating quite quickly. So, yeah, through your people, maybe we can find our third Winnebago. Absolutely. I'll include that in the show notes on my website. And where can people learn more about you guys? Um, the, I guess the easiest spot would be our website, uh, com, And we're also on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. But, but I guess the launching pad would be our, our website. And you can listen to our music there and you can link to the blog. And I guess that's the uh, first base. Awesome. Well, I'll include uh, links to all that in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for chatting with me today on the podcast and taking the time to share your story. Okay. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you very much, Heath, and thank you for uh, promoting the lifestyle. It's, uh, it's been our pleasure to share our little piece of the story. Of course. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today with Winnie Brave. To check out the show notes from this episode, make sure to head on over to heathpaget.com forward slash episode 19. That's episode spelled out and the number 19. Get all the links, everything that we mentioned. Go say hello to Winnie Brave on their social media and on their website. And I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.